0: Three, two, one. Welcome to the Marn Report.
1: What's up, Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield? Jenny here with this week's edition of the Marn Report. I'm here with Captain Chelsea K, and we are talking about suicide prevention today. Welcome, Captain K. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Jenny. So I'm Captain Chelsea K. Born and raised in
0: Sacramento, California. Came here to Fort Stewart a couple years ago. I'm an MP. Just got out of company command of the 549th Military Police Company, and now working with the Director of Emergency Services.
1: Why is suicide prevention so important to you? Talk to me about that. A variety of reasons.
0: I'll tell you the thing that it was initiated by was losing my brother to suicide and um, that occurred the February before I commissioned so just before I commissioned into the army. Um, That's when I made a personal vow essentially that once I commissioned and joined the army myself, he was also in the army, that I, I would make a point to do what I could to affect change in that regard, Uh, himself and then someone he had deployed with uh, while in the Army. Uh, They both took their lives. So I made that decision that while I'm in the Army, I'm gonna do everything that I can to try to affect change. Coming after that, being a military police officer, unfortunately, this is one of the most common calls that we see and that's just at large. It doesn't matter what installation you're at, it's not just soldiers, it's also family members that struggle with it. And so seeing it on the side of military police response, it is very prevalent. And then also as chain of command, being a platoon leader, being a company commander, you also see how prevalent it is just within your own unit That you're having to address Um, so there are a lot of reasons i guess that i'm passionate about it and it just comes down to i was initially personally affected by it in my family
1: but i've seen how many people really struggle with that that is an incredible story and let me just say i'm very sorry four-year loss. I don't think people realize just, you know, we get these trainings a lot on the civilian side, on the military side. We hear Mm -hmm. it, you know, suicide prevention. It almost becomes background noise sometimes because they are so adamant about the training, which is absolutely understandable given how prevalent it actually is. But I think we lose that sometimes if it's not personally affecting you if it's not touching you in your actual life if it's not your soldier your battle buddy your family member you don't realize how often it actually is happening and so I think it's very thank you for sharing that and being so courageous and that can't be easy to talk about. And I'm just so glad that you're willing to open up and share that because I think people need to know that everybody does struggle with these things. It touches a lot of us. And I can't even begin to imagine from an MP standpoint. You said that you are just coming out of company command. Is there anything that you employed while you were a commander with your own troops to try to mitigate that or make sure that they understood suicide prevention?
0: Absolutely. When I went to the basic officer leader course uh, right after I commissioned, I developed a training for suicide prevention. So I put this training together. So ever since 2015 to now, I personally give the suicide prevention training. So I reach out to other units if they would like it, but I have always given it to my unit that that I have, so that that's my personal investment of taking that training, so that it's not just a you know a check the block training thing 350-1 that we just have to get soldiers to, to sit through. It's a very personalized conversation that's had between myself and the soldiers. So that that is what I've personally done on in, on another standpoint, just ensuring that from myself down there is involved leadership and so what i explain is there's a difference between invasive leadership and involved leadership and i think sometimes we don't quite understand that difference in our junior leaders are a little bit timid to be involved leaders, as involved as we need them to be to make sure that their soldiers are okay and their family members are okay. Having my own conversations with soldiers within my unit and making sure they understand that we truly are there for them and making sure that at all echelons below me, they're also the same way and that they're involved leaders. And so if someone's struggling, that it's not a surprise, and that they're already taking steps to help that person in whatever it is they're struggling with, whether it's financially, physically,
1: emotionally, maritally,
0: whatever that might be.
1: That is really amazing. Tell us what your definition is, the difference between, in you said invasive leadership. My words are eluding me because involved. of um, involved leadership. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So what is the difference between the two things for those young leaders out there?
0: The military in itself has systems and processes to ensure we're involved. So that is leave and earning statements, LES reviews monthly. A first-line leader is looking at a soldier's LES. You're looking at how much they're making, what what's being deducted, and how they're sitting financially. That isn't them trying to get into their business. It's an Army system and process to actually look to make sure that person can afford food. If they have four dependents listed on their LES and they have essentially no money left and you potentially know that they're eating out every meal, that's probably a problem that needs to be addressed. And so that's why I say some might see that as, you know, you're impeding on my personal life, but the Army does it for a reason and it's to make sure that we're preventing, not reacting to hardships, we're preventing and putting things in place to make sure that a soldier and their family are both doing okay. Because we talk about warning signs and risk factors to those who are more susceptible to taking their life, and a lot of those stem from financial hardships, marital hardships, substance abuse, if that's drinking a lot, and and so that also, i I normally discuss in my training the, the medical realm where there's a lot of prescription medication that can be given to a lot of different things, whether it's you injured yourself or you know behavioral health or what it might be. Now, if you are an involved leader, HIPAA, you can't necessarily ask them to tell you what it is they're taking, right? But you can have the conversation of, okay, if you're on this medication, because I know you're on profile for this injury, XYZ, I know you just had surgery, discuss the fact that alcohol and that medication is not a good mix at any point in time. Not everyone understands the severity of that, which unfortunately, that is typically a contributing factor to people taking their lives, is when they get in this spot and then they mix alcohol and medication and then, you know, sometimes they're too far gone. So having that conversation, some might see that as, you know, this is my life. You can't tell me what to do, but it's not. It's being involved so that we can prevent issues from happening as opposed to react to the issues that have happened.
1: And it's funny to me because I, I'm telling my age here, but I think about 22 three-ish years ago when I was a brand new soldier, these were standard practices. You handed over your LES that's to your right. squad leader, and they knew what you were doing and what was going on. And we didn't see it as invasive then because that was just the practice of it. Mm-hmm. And I can understand where maybe some people have abused that over the years, but mm-hmm. I tell people all this information is power. Your leaders can't help you if they don't know what's going on. That's right. And if you've got somebody that's maybe not handling that information well, that's what a chain of command is for, and that's, mm-hmm. you know you address these things because i hate for a soldier to think that they have nowhere to go or no one to turn to or that the world is against them or absolutely not we want to see them get help Mm -hmm. before it becomes too far gone
0: exactly and you know in talking about leader presence in barracks and houses, including off post houses, that's not invading privacy. That is, I am making sure that you are living well, that your health and welfare and your cleanliness for you and possibly children, because also as an MP, responding to some child neglect calls and seeing how soldiers are living and seeing the environments these toddlers are being put into, those are also signs that having leaders present, not to invade privacy, to, to be involved, And that's to make sure, hey, you're not really living clean. We should have this conversation, Uh, especially if someone goes straight from parents' house who did everything into the Army basic training and then into barracks. And now they have a family. And this is the first time that they're actually taking care of themselves along with other people.
1: And chances are, if they came straight out of their parents' home, so did their spouse. Right. And so you've got two people who were trying to figure it out in their right. early 20s, maybe, and not a recipe for disaster, essentially, but without the information, or if they don't exactly. understand things, then absolutely. We are about done, but I did want to ask, and it's you've kind of already played on it, but for new leaders, new commanders, people who were in the seat that you just left, what is your advice to those new commanders who are trying to figure all of this out? What would you have to say to these new leaders to combat this problem we have with suicide side and with, you know, soldiers needing somewhere to turn to and being taken care of.
0: So for the more first line level, the new squad leaders and really team leaders would be the whole piece of there's a difference between invasive leadership and involved leadership and understanding that. And it's not a nine to five job. It's taking the time to check on your soldiers. And that in itself is going to assist the company commanders who need to make sure that they have the systems in place to ensure that their junior leaders are doing that so that you do have a good pulse on the, you know, for MP company 159 individuals within your, within your chain of command uh, or within your unit. And then also the reason that we do 350-1 is there there's an importance for some reason. Right, so sexual harassment, assault, your suicide prevention, your opsec, which is also a big issue. We have to do this annually because it is such a big deal, along with suicide prevention. So not allowing that training to be let's just get this done to check the block, but having it being a dialogue where. The soldiers sitting in this class see that it's important. They see that it's important to their leaders. They see that their company commander and first sergeant are invested. Absolutely. So that they know, okay, they actually do care. This isn't obligatory. They actually do care. Because the genuine care that the soldiers see are going to reflect on how much they trust the system and how much they're willing to come out if they are struggling. That's amazing.
1: And absolutely, if your command is like, hey, we're going to sit here for five minutes, watch this video and check this block and move on, then why should I care if you don't care? So absolutely. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you personally just want people to know or to talk about? The only thing
0: uh, that I think I would end on is the fact that I really try to stress in the training as well that we're all vulnerable. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't matter if you're a general officer, command sergeant major, a private, or just, you know, a spouse or a child. Everybody struggles and everybody has hardships, but it's how we address them. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It's how we address them. And the beautiful thing about the military is that we have a family at all times you always are assigned to someone always so you literally always have someone you can go to at all times so understanding that it's not a sign of weakness we all go through it.
1: We all go through it. It's absolutely. just how it's handled. Um, and something you said earlier today, nobody has nowhere to go. I love that because it's absolutely true. Well, thank you so much, Captain K, for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story. That is absolutely amazing that you took something like that and you turned it into a positive where you're like, no, we're going to go out and we're going to make sure the next guy in line has what they need. And I just really appreciate that being a company commander, being a soldier yourself, just the fact that you're willing to share that is just truly amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you for being. Here today and I think we are about done. Okay Fort Stewart and Hunter Army Airfield this is Jenny signing off.
0: Driving on highways 144 and 119 has become one of the most dangerous activities the dog-faced soldiers civilians and family members do on a daily basis. Speed, aggressive and distracted driving pose a risk to not only our lives but the lives of others. We all have a part in creating a safer environment. Help make highways 144 and 119 a safer place to drive and set to cruise. Remember, it isn't the Daytona Speedway out there. Set to cruise and drive to arrive.